you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Psalm 23? We have been studying the 23rd Psalm. We're in a series. I really don't even know what sermon this is. It's either four or five. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. I'm just going to read you one verse today. Psalm 23. Let's read together verse... It's only six verses. Let's just read them. We have did this every time so far, and then we'll come back to our text. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you so much for your sweet presence. We thank you, God, for the freedom we have to come and worship you. God, we pray this morning that for the next few moments You would arrest our hearts and our minds, Lord, as we open Your Word. God, I pray for these young people here this morning, God, that are going to remain in the preaching hour with us. Lord, that You would help them to hear Your Word in the depths of their heart this morning. God, that they would know that You are a God that works with all ages. And God, that You are a God that's deeply involved in their lives as well. God, we pray this morning for anybody who does not know You in the free pardon of sin who has walked in this place this morning, and God, if they were to leave and die today, they would spend forever in a literal hell. God, we ask that You would save them. God, that You would reach them. God, that You would overwhelm them this morning with Your love, with Your involvement in their life, and with the fact You cared enough to bring them to a church on a Sunday morning so that You could speak to their heart and let them know You love them and You want to save them. Lord, we just ask that You would have Your way. Please anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at the second sentence in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. One of the things that we want to look at this morning is the reality that God has a path for our lives. There is a path that God desires each and every one of us as individuals to walk. There will be certain people that God will bring into your path. There will be certain people that you will do a lot of walking on the path with during your life. But each of us as individuals have a path, a course, a way that God has marked out for us. And the Bible says that He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. First of all, what are righteous paths? To start with, they are right paths. That means they are right for you and me. That they represent the decisions and the directions that we will fulfill God's plan for our life. There is a right path for your life. And there is a wrong path for your life. There is a right path for your career, and there is a wrong path for your career. 
There is a right path for the decisions that you will make in the future, and there is a wrong path for the decisions that you will make in the future. I want to say thank God this morning for plan B. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. Thank God for forgiveness, because we don't always choose the right path. We do not always make the right decision. Sometimes we know God is leading a certain direction and we just don't want to go that way. Sometimes we don't know the decision because we haven't really prayed about it. We haven't really sought the counsel that we need to seek. We've just thought, well, it sounds good to me, so I'm going to go this way. And we head down the path and we find out once we get down the path, I should have stopped and thought about this. I should have prayed about this. I should have taken some godly counsel on this decision because now I'm in a mess. I want to tell you this morning, if you have found yourself in that predicament, there is mercy and grace in the sight of God. There is a God that's willing to forgive our sins. There's a God who has the ability to take things, even our mistakes, and and flip them on their head, forgive us of our sins, cause us to come out wiser because of it, and use it somehow to get us back on the path that He has for our life. But I want to say, with that in retrospect, that it's always better when we take God's path. It's always better when we don't divert and do it our own way. It's, you can save yourself a lot of heartache. You can save yourself a lot of headache. You can save yourself a lot of wasted time and at times wasted money if you will learn to understand there is a right path that God has for your life. Not only are the paths right, but they are righteous. In other words, they represent a daily walk that is pleasing to God. The righteous paths represent a daily walk that is pleasing to God. Notice he uses the word paths. It's plural. I think that's intentional. I believe everything in the Word of God is intentional. The truth is we have a lot of paths, don't we? Any of you right now under the sound of my voice, especially if you're an adult and you have uh, many responsibilities in your life, your life, if you will, is on a handful of paths. Your career might be on a certain path. Your relationship with certain people, maybe your husband, your wife, your children might be on a certain path. Your ministry might be on a certain path. And so we really have a lot of paths that we walk along in this thing we call life. The Bible calls them righteous paths. And here's what it teaches us. I don't really know a better way to say it than this. Life isn't necessarily about the destination only. It's about the process of getting there. And God wants our daily walking to be pleasing to Him. He wants the process that I take to get from point A to point B. Now, He wants it to be right. There is a right path. There is a direction that I should be going. But He wants the process of that path. He wants the time that I'm on that path to be righteous and pleasing to Him. And then notice, it's for His name's sake. It's for His name's sake. I want you to think about it for a moment. For His name's sake. Whose name? God's name. The name, the Bible says, it's above all names. The name of the God who hung the stars in the sky, who spoke earth into existence, who spoke all the planets into existence, who told them to swirl in the way that they're supposed to swirl. That God, in His name, there is a path that you're supposed to walk. 
for His name's sake, to bring Him honor and to bring Him glory. In whose name? The name of the God to whom even the devils tremble in His presence. To whom even the devils must flee at the, at the very spoken word of His holy name. That name. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Here's what you've got to understand about real authentic Christian living. Here's what you've got to understand about learning to embrace the life that will bring you joy and peace and fulfillment in your life. It's not about you. The paths that God leads you in, they're not for your sake. Now, God's ways are always best. And when we do it God's way, it benefits us. Make no mistake about that. But it's not ultimately for our sake. It's for His sake. Now, I ask you the question this morning. Think about the paths that you are on. I want you to examine your life. What I want us to do this morning as we are looking at the path of God, the righteous path for His namesake, as you recognize God has a path for you, you personally as an individual, God has a path for you. I want us to take the mirror this morning and, and look, it in the, look ourselves in the face and ask ourselves a few questions. The path that I'm on, is it about me or is it about God? The path that I'm on is, is the overall purpose of my life. When I think about why I do what I do, is the purpose of my life and the driving motivational factor that I get up and live every day, is the purpose to build His kingdom. Is the purpose... So that with my life, I can further His holy name. Because if you're really on the path that He has marked out for your life, that will be the motivating factor behind it. Or can you say, and don't put a hand in the air and say, that's me, but can you say this morning, really my life is about me. When I look at where I'm trying to go, it's about me and what I want. It's about me and what I think is best for my life. And the real reason I've got God involved in the equation is because I know He's got more power than I do, and I hope that if I pray enough, I can manipulate God to bless the path that I've chosen for my life. Can I tell you that's the way most Christians live? They're not concerned about God's path for their life. They've got a plan. They've figured it out. They know what they want to do. And they've dug their heels in and said, here's what I'm going to do. And now, God, I want to bring you along for the ride because I think you might be able to help me in my endeavors to do what I want to do. Most people live their life that way. Most Christians, that is their Christian life. But I want you to know we have a shepherd that has a better plan for our lives than we have for our own. We have a shepherd who's not only is the process of getting there better, not only is life better when we live it in His will, it leads us somewhere better than we could ever imagine for our own selves. It's for His namesake. Isn't that awesome? If you're saved here this morning, isn't that awesome that God wants to use you for His namesake? When God's looking at His entire redemptive plan of mankind, when God's looking at the outworking of His, His overall will for time and eternity, and the lifting up and exalting of His holy name, He looks at you as His child and says, I want to use you in part of the process of bringing glory to my holy name. 
I can't think of any greater honor than God saying, Son, I want you. Daughter, I want you for my namesake. What an honor. That's exciting. Can I tell you that in all the things I've done in life, and I have had done quite a few, I've been successful in quite a few areas, nothing gives me the thrill of getting my mind around and my heart around the fact God wants to use me for His namesake. His kingdom. The, 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 the universal kingdom of God. His scope goes beyond earth. He's the God of heaven and earth. That God. The King of kings. The God of glory. The Creator of the universe. That God wants to use me and He wants to use you for His namesake. I can't think of anything that provides more significance than that. I want to sign up for that, don't you? I want to be part of that. I want my life to be that. And here's the great news this morning. God's trying to lead each and every one of His children in that general path that in some way, somehow, your life is meant for His namesake. What an honor. The Bible clearly teaches us that God leads us. I'm going to read these quickly, so don't try to follow me. If you want to take notes, you can take notes. But in Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. You hear that? God shall direct your path. Psalm 37 and 23, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Psalm 139, verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isaiah 48, 17. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Psalm 32, and verse 8. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Psalm 48 and verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. In Isaiah 58 and verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. And finally, in Psalm 73, in verse 24, You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. The Bible, and I could have given you more, but the Bible has no shortage of verses where God tells us He's leading us. He's guiding us. There is a direction God has for our lives. Did you know this morning there is a direction that God has for your life? If there's a direction that God has for our lives, and there is, I can't think of anything more important than knowing what that is. I can't think of anything more important than being able to say, I'm going down the path that God has for me. That I am being led by God. That where I am going, I am going because God is taking me there. And I would hate the thought of thinking that God does have a plan for my life, that God does have a will for my life, that He has created a path for me, and I'm not on it. I would hate that thought. And so I asked the question this morning, how do we discover 
and follow God's plan for us? That's an important question before us. How can we say with certainty, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake? That is the question before us. And I'm going to give you quickly seven, and I promise I'll be quick, don't get nervous on me, but I'm going to give you seven ways this morning that you can know that you're on the right path. Because it's not always easy. Very practical advice. If you're a note taker, jot them down. Number one, pray about it. Pray about it. And when I say pray about it, I mean ask God's direction. Don't do what I talked about earlier where you already decide this is what you're going to do and so you pray and ask God to make it happen. Oh God, please make him love me so I can marry him. Well, maybe God knows something about him that you don't. And God doesn't want you to marry him. The smarter thing to pray is, God, open my eyes. Show me who you want me to be with. God, if there's any red flags, please let me see them. God, don't let my heart get in the way of this and want something so bad that I'm not willing to be led by you. See, we want to pray about decisions we make and ask God to give us wisdom and to show us and give us a sense of peace about what is right or wrong. There is a big difference between praying and asking God to lead you in a decision versus praying and asking God to bless your plans. And so, pray about it. you got a career move. Pray about it. Ask, ask God, God, give me direction. Is this the right thing for us? Is this the right thing for my family? Is this the right thing for uh, my situation? Ask God to lead you and guide you. Ask God to give you the wisdom to make the choice that is most pleasing to God. So the first thing, pray about it. The second thing, practical advice this morning, being led by God. Seek Scripture. Seek Scripture. All of my points are important this morning, but as I studied them, I felt like this is the most important especially for our day and for our culture. And I'm going to spend the most time on this point this morning. Rarely when you're looking for a decision to make in your life and you pray about it, rarely are you going to be able to say, God, am I supposed to work at job A or job B? And you open it up and it says job B. I mean, this thing has all the answers, right? It doesn't work that way. But having a steady diet of the Word of God helps in, I can't even, I don't know how to say it, but it helps supernaturally. Just knowing the Word of God and, and studying the Word of God and beginning to understand the principles of the Word of God, when it comes time to make your decisions, the Word of God helps more than anything else that you will ever get from anybody. And I'm going to tell you here in a moment, you need godly counsel. I'm going to tell you to, to listen to your own convictions. I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you a few other points, but nothing ever trumps the Word of God. You need to know what God's Word says when you're making decisions. In Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 21, it says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you. It is a prophetic statement. 
Isaiah was not telling the people that there was going to be an audible voice behind them that they would hear and then turn around and nobody was there and they would know it was God. It, 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 is a, it is a way of trying to communicate truth that as we're walking in life, God has a way of speaking to us and directing us to the left or to the right. But in order to do this, we have to understand God. We've got to know what He says. Not just His voice, but we need to know His general character. And we learn that through the Word of God. If somebody told me that my wife was at a store and she became irate and she took um, a purse off of a counter and threw it across the, the counter at the lady behind the desk, I would know that didn't happen. I would know it. I wasn't there, but I would know that's not how that went down. Why? Because I know her. I know her character. I know what she does when she's mad. I know how she handles things when, 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 when she's not feeling like things are going the way they should. And it's not grabbing stuff and chucking it across the room. But if you didn't know my wife, and you had never met her, and somebody said, hey, this woman named Andrea, I seen her the other day, you would have nothing to judge that by. See, we learn the character of God through the Word of God. And when it comes time to making decisions, if we know the character of God, a lot of times that leads us. In studying this uh, whole thing of shepherding, I came across a fascinating story that illustrates this point. And I'm just going to read it to you out of an excerpt of a book. Many years ago, a boy named Anis T. Baruti grew up in a small village on the spur of a mountain in Lebanon. He became a shepherd before attending the Syrian Protestant College in Beirut and eventually going into ministry. Years later, he developed a lecture that became popular all over the United States and is recorded in a book entitled The Syrian Shepherd. Baruti compared his experiences raising sheep with his observations about sheep in the Bible. In the shepherd's life, he wrote, we see all that the human eye needs to see of God. One summer's morning, Baruti said, as he was out on the pastures near his home on Mount Lebanon, a good friend, who was also a shepherd, came along followed by a large flock of sheep. On a whim, Baruti decided to try an experiment. And here's what, he, here's what he said, quote, I asked that shepherd if he would let me have his cloak and headgear for a few minutes. He did so. I immediately put them on and stood in front of his sheep. After having first dispatched the shepherd into a good hiding place, I started calling the sheep as their shepherd had been in the habit of calling them. He used the same word. It's here for me. I can't pronounce it. But he used the same word that the shepherd had used. He's dressed in the shepherd's cloak. He's dressed in the shepherd's stuff. He's got the shepherd's staff. The shepherd is hiding. And he's standing in front of the sheep trying to imitate the shepherd. And he used the exact same phrase that the shepherd had used. Then I looked back to see whether the sheep were following me. No, they had not stirred. Such a look of fright on their faces 
as if they were wondering what kind of creature I was. I called again, imitating the shepherd as much as possible. But the sheep did not move. They were still pinned to the ground like statues. Then I turned around and stretched my hand toward them in a coaxing manner, as the shepherd does sometimes. But they jostled each other back in fright. Then I picked up a little tuft of grass and held it out for them very gently. But they edged away from me, bleeding most pathetically. Why? You know, we think of sheep as dull and nearsighted, but their ears are as keen as radar. They instantly know and recognize the shepherd's voice, and they aren't easily fooled. If you want to know the shepherd's voice, you've got to get into the Word. You know, I don't just say that because I'm a pastor and the things pastors are supposed to say. This is real Christian living. The problem with our culture, the problem with our society, our Christianity is based on a slogan on a t-shirt and our favorite song. Most people's Christian theology is no deeper than their favorite t-shirt and their favorite Christian song. Or maybe a Christian movie they've watched. I believe in Christian songs. I believe in Christian shirts. And I believe in Christian movies. But brothers and sisters, they are no substitute for the Word of God. And when you're looking at decisions, life-altering decisions, when you want to know if you're on the path that God has for your life, you've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God and let it lead you. Number three, seek out counsel. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. We need people who can give us godly counsel. This, this doesn't mean that whatever your counsel is, you absolutely have to go with it. But there is so much wisdom in learning to listen to other people. Most of the time when we don't listen to counsel or we aren't willing to have anybody counsel us, most of the time when we make our decisions all by ourselves, it's because we know that probably we're going to get counseled the other direction and we don't want to be accountable to anybody. We want to do it our own way. We want to do our own thing. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. But if you want a life that is on the paths that God has set out for you, you need to learn to pray and ask God for direction. You need to learn to study the Word of God so you know what God says. And then you need to learn to be willing to yield yourself to godly counsel. The fourth thing this morning. You need to see how your circumstances are leading. See how your circumstances are leading. Now, we often preach about not being controlled by our circumstances, and we should not be controlled by our circumstances. But God often guides us providentially through the circumstances of our life. The Bible calls God the God who opens doors that no man can shut and the God who shuts doors that no man can open. Sometimes God brings the right opportunities in front of us at the exact right time and our circumstances can help us understand the direction God is leading. It's very important that you understand you need to take all seven of these points that I'm going to give you and use them as a whole. Not, don't just take point number four and say, whatever my circumstances teach me, I'm going to do. But it is part of the equation. 
I want to give you an example of how God used circumstances to lead us here. We knew that God had called us to plant a church. We had peace about it being Derby, Kansas. God even used circumstances in our life to move us to Derby, Kansas, as far as why it was the place that we felt He wanted us to launch a church. But when we got here, we found it was real expensive to start a church, and there was hardly any buildings that were going to work. And so, a few years ago, talk about circumstances, talk about God using our day-to-day activities. A few years before we launched this church, I had a friend of mine that thought he was going to start a church in Derby. This very building was for sale. I came and walked through it with him. We looked at it. He thought this would be a great place to start a church. He didn't start a church here. Three years later, God called us to start a church. I thought, I remember that place. And so I drove up. No sign in the yard. It was no longer for sale. I thought, well, they sold it. So I thought, just call. And so I called. And they hadn't sold it. They just got tired of trying to sell it. So they yanked the sign. They said, we didn't think we'd ever sell it. And so we just using it for uh, our Awanas Club. I said, what's it going to take to start a church there? They said, well, we'd be interested in, in working with you. Tell us about your church. How many members do you have? And this is when it started to look like it was going the wrong way. Well, we don't actually have any members. Well, how long have you been in church? We haven't been in church. We're looking for a place to really have our first service. Okay. How much money do you have? We don't have any money. And so they, you know, honestly, their thought was, so you're a church. And I said, well, we're going to build a church. And we want to use your facility to build it. Now, here's what the men told me. They said, there's really not any chance of that happening. But we have a board, and none of us have the authority to just say on the whim, no. So let us take a vote on it, and then we'll get back to you. And I continue to tell them, all you got to do is tell me no, and I will quit calling. But until you tell me no, I'm going to stay on this thing. Well, they called back and said, can we have another meeting? Which I thought was an interesting thing. We went, we sat down, and they began to tell me how they would like to sell the building, um, but they had already told several other churches no. They wouldn't let them use the facility. They were only looking to purchase it, and so they wanted to push to see if there was any way we would just consider purchasing it. To which I said, no. We're not going to buy a church when we've never even had a single service. We began to pray about it. We said, what if you let us have church there for a year... And then, after a year, once we've grown, then we'll purchase the church. They said, that's probably never going to fly, but we can't tell you no. Let's go back and vote on it. So they went back and they had their vote on it. And they called and said, hey, let's meet at Village Inn and let's talk this out a little bit more. And so we went to Village Inn and we talked it out a little bit more. And here's what they told me that day. They said, we would like to make this happen. But when we do something like this, it eventually has to go to the whole church, and the whole church has to vote on it. And if we stand in front of the church and tell the whole church the situation and ask them to vote on it, they're going to say no, and we're going to look like fools. And so we need you to help us kind of find a way to help our church not be so nervous about this whole thing. 
how do, you know, they asked again, how, how much money can you come up with? Is there, you know, what, what do you have? And again, the answer was we don't have any money. And we really don't have, we can't grow in membership until we start having church. And so their question to me is, as pointed as it could be, the final question was, how do we tell the people with any level of confidence that at the end of a year, you guys are going to be able to purchase this? And this is what I told them, almost word for word, almost verbatim, sitting there that day to that group of men in Village Inn. I said, you can tell them this, that if this whole thing is just the inventions of man, if I'm just some young whippersnapper who thinks he's going to plant a church and has his heels dug in, that he's going to make it happen, you can rest assured and bank on it. You will have no money at the end of the year and the whole thing's going to fail. But if this is God and God has called me here to this town and God's the one that's making this happen, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I said, I don't know what else to tell you but that. Those men kind of took a breath like, yeah, that'll go over real well. And here's all I can tell you. They went and they voted on it. They brought it to their church and the church said yes. And here we are eight years later. God uses circumstances. See, those were circumstances. Now, I wasn't trying to manipulate the situation. We weren't trying to manipulate the situation. But in some ways, we were allowing the circumstances to help answer the question of, God, where are we supposed to be? Fifth this morning, listen to your inner conviction. And I'm going to be quick. Three real quick points. Listen to your inner conviction. A lot of times, everything will seem like it's falling in place, but there's something inside that's saying, no, don't do it. Don't ever make a decision that directs your path. Don't ever make a decision to move somewhere, to do something, to make a career change, to get in a relationship. Don't ever make a life-altering decision When you have inner conviction that's just saying something doesn't feel right, learn to listen to your intuition. And if there's something in there that needs worked out, there have been times in my life where it didn't feel right. But as I waited and as I prayed about it and as I learned more about the situation, some of the things that were causing me to be apprehensive began to work themselves out. And it turned out it was okay. It was fine. But I needed to wait to make that decision until that peace came in my spirit. And sometimes there's inner conviction to do something. Just because it's fresh in your mind, and he got up and spoke this morning, I want to use Zach as an example. He had inner conviction that I, I, there was something about this whole theme of, of men and men's ministry and that was much more passionate in him than most people he knew. That, that seemed to be there, like kind of burning in your stomach, that, that, but everyone else doesn't seem to have it. Often those inner convictions are God's way of saying, you're the one. This is what I want you to do. And I have placed this conviction within you. Number six, meditate on it. Contemplate on it. Think it through. God gave us a brain. You know that God created the human body? He made the brain. 
We are supposed to use our brains when we make decisions. There's nothing unspiritual about using your brain. I've seen people make brainless decisions and blame it on faith. Faith is not the absence of a brain. Faith simply says, God, I trust you with what I don't understand, but I'm not going to go against everything I understand. I'm going to think this thing through. I'm going to take all the factors involved. You know one of the things that I do when I have a hard time making a decision? A lot of times I try to either put together in my mind, sometimes on a piece of paper, the pros and the cons. Let's look at the pros and let's look at the cons. And that doesn't mean I'm making my entire decision based upon whatever that paper ends up saying. But at least I took the time to think it through, figure it out, understand If I make this decision, how will it affect my future? If I make this decision, how will it affect my future? If I make this decision, how will it affect my family and the people around me? How will it affect my ministry? And so it's important that you stop and contemplate. John Wesley said it this way. The great John Wesley, the evangelist John Wesley, the pastor John Wesley. Here's what he said. God generally guides me by presenting reasons to my mind for acting in a certain way. That's a profound statement, isn't it? God generally guides me by presenting reasons to my mind for acting in a certain way. And here's my final piece of information this morning that I want to give you on how do you ask yourself and make sure you're on the pathway for God. And I'll ask our worship team to come. Sing a song of closing. Find... Your contentment, peace, before you make a decision. And you need to be able to say with honesty that you have peace with yes or no. Until you can say, God, I am content with wherever you lead, you don't need to take that step yet. If we are not content, with God shutting the door, then it's very possible that we're willing to look for, look for circumstances, look for the right advice, look for the right Scripture, just to prove us that we can go in this direction. We need to have a heart of contentment that says, God, whether the answer is yes or no, I'm satisfied in You. God, whether the path leads this way or whether it leads this way, I'm ready to go. God, You just lead the way. And if you don't have contentment with where you're at, if you don't have contentment with the path that you're on, if you don't have contentment with the direction you're heading, you need to seek God and ask God, Lord, help me get a piece about this. Let me be willing to be content with wherever you lead. Father, I pray that you guide us and direct us, Lord. Move across this room. Finish what you started here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.